What a joy it is to be with you uh, today. I hope you have your Bibles. Would love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. While you're finding your place there, if you're our guest today, I uh, just wanted you to be mindful of the fact that uh, I, I'm just an expository style preacher, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. And we've been going through 1 Corinthians. And well, it's been quite the journey. Uh, we know that in going through 1 Corinthians, Paul's overarching theme is the word commitment, being more committed to Jesus more than anything. We actually started this study last year, and uh, here we are coming to a close, believe it or not, and we are right in the section where Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's going to summarize, he's going to finish up his thoughts on spiritual giftedness, and he's going to give a summary of chapter 12 all the way through chapter number 14 in regards to spiritual giftedness. Uh, there's a couple of things I want you to remember about this letter in particular uh, for to help us. It's been a while since we've been here. We've had Mother's Day. We had revival. There's been a lot of distance between the sermons, the last sermon I preached from 1 Corinthians. So just some key points I want you to remember to refresh our hearts and our minds and our memories in regards to this letter that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Number one, the first thing I want you to remember is that this is an occasional letter. This is an occasional letter. Remember, it was written at a specific or for a specific occasion. The first six chapters are a delegation from Chloe's house came to Paul. And they talked to Paul. And when they were talking to Paul, they were talking about several things that were going on in the church. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, deals with those topics that they talked about uh, from Chloe's house, the family from Chloe's house that came to visit Paul. That's chapters 1 through 6. And then in chapter 7, Paul switches gears, and Paul deals with a letter that was wrote to him from the church. And that letter dealt with a lot of different topics. It dealt with topics on marriage and Christian liberty and gender roles and the Lord's Supper and Jesus and stewardship and spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul took the time, and he's been answering each and every one of these questions. That's the occasion of this letter. Number two, there's a second important point to understand when you read this letter. This letter is a corrective letter. It's a corrective letter. Paul, in answering those questions, had to deal with some issues in the church at Corinth that needed correction. And so this letter is corrective. That's vitally important. A lot of people take this letter to Corinth and they'll take a verse out and, and not really uh, deal with it in the aspect of it being a corrective letter. And they'll make the text say something the text doesn't say. And there's a reason why uh, Paul says what he says. As a matter of fact, when you read the, the letter to, to Corinth, Paul uses a lot of sarcasm in his speaking. That's a, a literary device that he uses to try to encourage the church to snap out of it and be more committed to Jesus, more than they are to their spiritual gifts. This is a corrective letter. Number three. Uh, beginning in chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14, verse 40. It is the longest passage in the Bible on spiritual gifts. You will not find another uh, instructive passage on spiritual gifts like this. Remember, it's corrective, but it's also instructive. And it's the largest passage, the longest passage in the Bible about spiritual gifts. And then number four, here's the fourth thing to remember when you read this letter. Corinth is a hedonistic culture. Hedonism is a culture of pleasure where they desire pleasure more than anything. We uh, kind of made an association between Corinth and, and Las Vegas in the United States today. But I'm going to be real honest with you. The whole makeup of the United States right now is living in hedonism. We're, we're living in a culture of pleasure. If it does, if it feels good, do it. And the pleasure atmosphere and the culture in which we live in can be detrimental. So were you saying God doesn't want us to, to have pleasure? And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is God wants you to be happy and he wants you to have pleasure. But that happiness and that pleasure comes through the holiness of Jesus Christ. The holiness of God is what sets us free. Paul deals very specifically, and we've already dealt with it. We, we found it over in chapter 8, from chapter 8, verse 1, all the way to chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul talked about Christian liberty. 
Paul says, man, all things are beneficial to me. I can do whatever I want. He says, but all things are not expedient for me. That is, there are things out there that I can become enslaved to if I'm not careful. Uh, what Paul is saying is, man, I can drink as much as I want, but the problem is, if I drink as much as I want, then I become enslaved to that drinking. And I profess myself that, hey, I've got liberty in Jesus Christ, but really I'm in bondage to the liquor. I'm in bondage to the alcohol, and that just use that as an example. I've already dealt with that. You can go back and listen to the messages on that. But Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts <clears throat> Excuse me, at this particular moment in time. And so with that thought in mind, if you're able to stand and you found your place, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Uh, just for context clarity, because it's been so long, let me pick up in verse number 20. In verse number 22, because Paul deals with tongues and prophecies greater in this passage than he does any other. Now, remember, when he talks about tongues, he's talking about languages. He's not talking about gibberish. I'll talk more about that here in just a few moments. He's not talking about uh, a spiritual language that only heaven knows. He's not talking about that at all. He's talking about real live languages. And notice what he says in verse number 22, just by way of context. Wherefore, Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So you've got a culture out there. They, they uh, speak their own language. You've got the disciples who do not speak the language of, of those. And the Holy Spirit of God rains down upon the disciples. And they all, these ignorant and unlearned men begin to speak their language. They hear the gospel and get saved. He says that's the purpose of tongues. He says because uh, the unsaved get saved when they hear the gospel in their language. So that's what he says in verse 22. But to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. He says in regards to proclaiming the truth, that's prophecy. When you proclaim the church truth in a congregation like this, the church becomes edified. They become built up. It's for believers. My responsibility is twofold here this morning. I want to see lost people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, and I want you to be built up. I want you to be edified in Jesus Christ. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church come together in one place... And all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? He says inside the church there's such confusion, all these different languages that are being spoken in the church, and you guys are speaking this gibberish, this heavenly language that you think came from God. He says people are walking out of the church going, they're crazy. They are insane. I ain't going back to that church. they nuts. He says, so this is, this is a real bad problem. Verse 24, but if all prophesy and, none come, and, and there come in one that believe not or one unlearned, he is con convicted of all and he is judged of all. He says, yet if you're prophesying and you're doing it, I'm talking about proclaiming the truth of the gospel. If you're proclaiming the truth of the gospel in the right way, these lost people, they get saved because they understand in their own language. And thus are the secrets of the heart made manifested and so falling down on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How then is it or how is it then, brethren? So he says, what's the problem? In verse 26, when you come together, every one of you have a psalm, you have a doctrine, you have a tongue, you have a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying, to building up the church. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to the other that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they, we, or excuse me, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is the for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church. Everybody say, oh my, right there. All right, that's good. Verse 36. What? <laughs> came the word of God out of from you or came it unto you? 
If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, then let him be ignorant. That word ignorant there means to sit down and hush. Verse 39, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophecy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. You may be seated. This is the word of God. We are to obey it. Amen. Amen. Hang on to your seats and your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bible today. Uh, did you hear the story about uh, the old, uh, there's a little old lady. She had a group of her friends and uh, they were going to play bingo at the local uh, community center. And uh, while they were on their way, they got pulled over by a police officer. The police officer walked up, and he walked up to the little lady, and she rolled the window down, and he said, uh, Ma'am, he said, Do you know that you were going 35 miles an hour? The little lady said, Yes, sir. And the officer said, Why in the world were you going 35 miles an hour? And the little lady said, Well, that's easy. See, that sign back there said 35. The officer said, No, ma'am. See, he said, that's the highway sign. You were on Highway 35. This is Highway 35. That's not the speed limit, ma'am. This is Highway 35. And looking into the car, he noticed that the ladies in the back seat and in the front seat, I mean, they were just, in, they were just look flabbergasted. I mean, their eyes were open. They could not believe what they're hearing. And so the officer says, could I ask you a question, ma'am? Why are these ladies look w with such shock on, your, on their faces today? And she kind of snickered, looked up, and said, We just got off of Highway 95. <laughs> Those signs are given to us so that we can operate on the highway in order. And I'm going to be honest with you, when we're on the highway, there needs to be a little bit of order. I mean, we're living in a day where everybody's upset at everybody, and uh, you're either running too fast or too slow. And my stars, you get on I-285, you better get right with God or you'll be in trouble. And the bottom line is just simply this. There is an order to our society. There is an order to our culture. And when Paul is writing, and he's going to summarize here everything that he's been saying in regards to spiritual gifts, he's wanting them to bring things into order. And in order for them to come to order, he's got to be very stern when he closes out this particular chapter. So we see that he's going to be very stern in closing out this call on spiritual giftedness, and he's really going to say three things. And he's going say stop doing three things that's what he says here in the text let me show you what I'm talking about and I hope that you'll get an encouragement by it number one the first thing Paul says is stop confusing the congregation stop confusing the congregation in verses 26 through 33 Paul is very obviously upset because the church has the elements of worship but it does not have the edification of worship and this was causing major confusion in the church and confusion can be a terrible thing in the church. As I thought about confusion, I think about the confusion that Paul was dealing with inside this congregation. I could not help but think about my favorite story about confusion. I've told it uh, a couple of times, but it fits real well right here because the church should not be confused, neither should their pastor be confused. So I'd like to just take just a few minutes and relate to you a story, the best story that I ever heard about confusion. It seems that there was a young preacher who was interviewing for his first pastorate, and a pulpit committee had heard him speak, and he did an excellent job on the exposition of the Scripture. The only challenge that this pastor had is that when he got put under pressure, he began to get a little bit confused in his mind. He did fine until the chairman came up to him and said, Son, we want to talk to you. You're exactly the man we're looking for to be our pastor. Can we talk to you in one of these Sunday school rooms? The man said, Yes. The young preacher went into the Sunday school room and the chairman of the committee and the whole committee sat down and they surrounded him Gestapo style. The chairman looked him right in the eye and pointed his finger in his face and said, Son, uh, what's your favorite part of the Bible? And the young man looked at him and it's about that time he started getting nervous. He said, Well, I guess it'd have to be the New Testament, sir. He said, Well, what's your favorite story in the New Testament? He said, Well, I guess it'd have to be the story of the prodigal son, sir. He said, could you relate that story to us as a, as a committee? And the young preacher said, I'd be glad to. He said, it seems that there was a man by the name, of, the name of Nicodemus who was a Pharisee who went to Jericho by night, and he fell upon stony ground, and the thorns growed up and choked him half to death. 
The next day, uh, Solomon and his wife Gomorrah came by and carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of. But as he was going through the eastern part, the eastern gate of the ark, he got his hair hung in a tree limb, and he hung there for 40 days and 40 nights. And thank God that man's wife Delilah came by to cut his hair. <laughs> Afterwards, he was a hungry, and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, he caught a ride on a chariot with Elijah to go down to the apostles and see their wives, the epistles. The next day, the three wise men carried him down to a boat dock where he caught a ride on a boat down to Nineveh. When he got there, he looked high on a wall where he saw Nehemiah and Bildad to Shuhite. He looked up and said, chunk her down, boys. They said, how many times shall we chunk her? He said, 70 times 70. He said, did you know they threw that woman down 490 times? And she burst asunder in their midst. And the fragments that were left over filled 12 baskets. But for the life of me, I do not know who in the world that woman's going to be the wife of in the millennium. Well, you can imagine the chairman's eyes were as big as half dollars. He looked around the room, and he looked at the vice chairman, and he looked at the committee. He looked at the vice chair again, he looked at the committee. He shook his head, and he said, Guys, this boy, I know he ain't much to look at, but he flat knows his Bible. I say we call him to be our pastor. Confusion really can be a terrible thing. You see, the opposite of confusion is edification. In the realm of church, the opposite of confusion is edification. Edification always builds up. Edification always leads to holiness. Holiness always leads to happiness. And Paul, throughout the course of this letter, says, don't be confused. And right here at the end, he says, stop. Stop confusing the congregation. They think, you, they think you're crazy. They think you're mad. Stop it. The church is confused, and it's leading people astray. They're going out from the church, and they're going into these other temples, and they're leaving the body of Christ. Stop confusing the church. The church at Corinth was being more and more confused rather than being more and more edified. So Paul establishes an order of service to help the church to stop confusing the congregation. When you look at this passage of Scripture, you see the very first order of service in, our first, in a first century church. Now, it has changed throughout the course of the years, but there is still order in the church. God, through the instrument of Paul, was using the Holy Spirit to speak to Paul's life that he might tell the church God is a God of order. And if the church is out of order, it's got to get back in order so that people can be saved. So I want you to notice the five things that Paul proposed in setting straight the correction, if you will, of the church at Corinth regarding their order of service. It's worth noting that the first two deal with tongues and prophecy. Remember, tongues is an unknown language, a language, a, a real language, not a heavenly language, but a real language that existed in Corinth. Remember, Corinth is a hodgepodge, it's a melting pot of all these different cultures. People are coming from everywhere in that region to that center point, if you will, of Corinth. It was much like New York City when the immigrants, immigrants were coming over and they would, they would get off and they would come into New York City. The same is true here at Corinth. People from all over were coming in, and there was all different kinds of cultures that were represented there in Corinth. And so Paul, knowing that and understanding that, simply said, rule number one, for everybody in the church, no more than three different languages could be spoken at any given service. That's what he says in verse 27. To the preachers, he said, no more than three preachers can preach at one sitting. Wouldn't that bless your heart? Aren't you glad you only got one preacher preaching and not three? Don't say amen. That'll hurt my feelings. So we find here that no more than three different languages can speak at any given service. No more than three preachers could preach at any given service. Look at what the Bible says, verse number 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. That brings me to number two. That is that number two, they were to speak one after the other. That's what he means by course. That there ought to be a course style of preaching. The first one speak and there's an interpretation thereof. And then after they're done, then the next one. Then the next one. Then the next one. In regards to the preachers, the very same. 
One preacher would preach, and then the others would, the Bible says, judge. That is, they would listen and say amen. Did you hear what David just did? He just judged the statement the preacher said. He said amen. The word amen, and Paul's already said in the, over in the book, we, we've already noticed it uh, in previous messages. Uh, the Bible says, how, when Paul says, how are they going to know to say amen if they don't understand the language you're speaking? So he, he says that it's good to say amen to the preacher. It's good to affirm the preacher. It's good to do this. And he calls that an act of judgment in the Scripture. Uh, bless God, I'm telling you what, the 930 crowd about preached me to death. They amened me and amen me and amen me. I hope uh, to God uh, you'll take note. And if you hear the Lord speaking and you know that it's true and it's coming out of the Bible, you'll say amen. Thank you, church. You're encouraging to you, Pastor. I deeply, deeply love you. Number three, here's the third one. He says only one interpreter can be used. Only one interpreter can be used. So, well, preacher, is he talking about one interpreter at a time or one interpreter that knows everything? Well, you know this as well as I do. Let's not be foolish in our, uh, uh, in our commentary. Uh, there's not one person that knows every stinking language that exists to man. Only God, only the Holy Spirit knows that. But as far as man is concerned, one interpreter per person that knows that language that can translate it for the people, the congregation to hear. We don't have to worry about this much here at Maysville Baptist Church. Why? Because everybody speaks English. Now, we have a multitude. We've got about three or four different languages that are spoken here, but everybody here speaks English. So I don't need an interpreter for my Chinese section. Uh, I don't need an interpreter, if you would, for my, uh, my Spanish-speaking section. No, uh, we have Chinese people that speak English. We have Spanish-speaking people that speak English. And so they understand the words coming out of my mouth. Thank God for that. Only one interpreter is to be used if we had a multicultural congregation. Then number four, here's the fourth one. If no interpreter was present, then the foreign language speaker had to sit there and be quiet and silently pray to God. That's what it says in the text. The Bible says that there in verse number 28. Let me call your attention to it. He says, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him keep, himself, keep to himself and to God. He says, if there's no interpreter, then don't even bother getting up. Just be quiet. And then number five, in verses 30 through 32, he just simply says, Preachers, those that are prophesying, you need to control yourself. Look at what the Scripture says. Let's, let me call your attention to verse 30 and following. He says, And if any be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. Again, he's talking about those that are prophesying, talking about those that are preaching the truth, making a proclamation of a revelation. Remember, the Word of God has not been fulfilled, completed yet. It's being written at this very moment in time in the first century. And so God is speaking through revelation. There's a lot of questions that have to take place. And so when there's those questions that take place, they had to communicate about them as the Word of God is being written. The Bible tells us over in the book of 1 Peter, we have a more sure word of prophecy. That simply means that the Bible is completed. We've got everything that we need for daily living. We don't need a new revelation. We need to obey the revelation that we have. And so he goes on to say here, he says, If any be revealed to another that sitteth by, let, uh, let the first hold his peace. He said, just hang on, verse 31. He's talking about self-control in verse 30. Verse 31, For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. So I'm hoping today you'll leave out of here learning something about the Word of God, and I'm hoping what you learn will bring you great comfort. It won't hurt you. But we'll be able to say this is exactly what the Bible says. That brings me great comfort. I can find hope and trust in what the Scripture says. He's talking about preachers being honest and truthful. And then in verse 32, he says this. And the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. What's he talking about there? He's talking about self-control. Uh, he's talking about this pulpit right here is not a bully pulpit. I'm not to climb into it and let it be a bully pulpit and pick on you. Uh, I've had some folks, man, I'll never forget this. I was preaching one day, and man, the Spirit of God, I'm telling you what, I was just full, and I was getting with it, man. I was passionate, and that old finger went out there and pointed. And I'm telling man, I just was, I, I, look, I mean, the Spirit of God was moving. After it was all over, had this guy come up to me. He pointed his finger in my face, and he said, how dare you point out my sin? And I didn't even know what he did. <laughs> I said, which part was it? Because I need to know. <laughs> he said, y you hadn't heard I said, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
And he, he just politely said, oh, uh, uh, oh, and he, and he, you know, and then just kind of walked off. Listen, that's called conviction. When the preacher preaches and he extends his finger or gives a gesture, whatever. Look, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm trying to say, thus saith the Lord. And if the Spirit of God hits me in such a way to talk about whatever it may be, I promise you it's not because I read your mail. It's because God's got your mail. He read your mail. I'm just the messenger boy. Bless God, I'm just delivering the paper. Don't be mad at me. So he says here in the, in the scripture, he says, it's okay to be passionate, but don't use it as a bully pulpit. Man, I've heard preachers stand behind the pulpit tell people to sit down and shut up. It's a shame. That's not what this is for. I have preachers stand up, heard preachers say this, bless God, it's my way or the highway. No, no, listen, it's the Bible way or no way. Don't be ashamed of yourself. He said, preacher, I ought to control themselves. It's like no bully pulpit. And then verse 33, look at what he says, the reason why. Because, preacher, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. You know God wants you to have peace in your life today. We're living in in a day-to-day where we're all stirred up and all we want is peace. I promise you the only way you can get peace is through Jesus. Look at what he says, as in all the churches of the saints. Every church ought to be the same. The Word of God is to be preached and magnified. Paul simply says in these verses, stop confusing the church. Number two, here's the second thing. In verses 34 and 35, Paul says, stop condoning the culture. Remember, if you condone something, you accept it and you bring it in. And when we read this passage of Scripture in verse 34 and 35, we want to get all up in a tizzy. But the bottom line is simply this. This is the Word of God. We are not to change it. We're to let it change us. So let's look at it one more time. Don't shut me off yet, ladies. Please, don't shut me off. Listen to everything that I'm going to say, in particular, you young people. Listen, young ladies. Listen to what the Bible says. I promise you it's in direct contrast with what our culture says. I promise you. So you just mark it down. The Bible is going to go opposite of what culture says. And if it does so in the United States of America, which are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the biblical example or are we going to follow the cultural example? What do you mean, Pastor? Look at the text. He says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Now, if you've been listening to these messages, if you've been listening to me preach and expound the Word of God, your analytical antennas ought to went up, and you ought to said, Wait a minute. This does not seem right. Why does this not seem right? Why does this seem strange? Well, the reason why it seems strange is because uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. You remember that? In 1 Corinthians 11, 5, let's go back. Let's go back. I think it's important. If y'all looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he's talking about proper worship. He's talked about how man is to be the spiritual leader of the home. He's the head. The wife's the neck. You can't turn the head without the neck. You're one in Jesus Christ. Jesus, God, Christ has already said there's no male nor female. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. He says we're all, we're all the same in Christ. And then he goes on to say, watch this now in verse number 5. But every woman that prayeth... That word prayeth is a present tense, verb, active. They are praying in church or prophesying. They are teaching Sunday school lessons. Ladies are teaching Sunday school lessons. They're teaching Bible stories. They are not pastoring the church, but they're teaching in the church. Look at what he says. The Bible says, With her head uncovered, dishonoreth the head, for that is even all one as if she is shaven. Remember what the word shaven meant. Only the prostitutes that were in the streets of Corinth had their heads shaved. A woman that was a born-again child of God had hair. It's not so much talking about covering with a cloth as the fact that God's given you a covering, ladies. It's called hair. And you can teach and pray if you have hair. Right there it is. He says it. So when we get over here to chapter number 14 and we read this, we're like, 
this, this is hard because it doesn't seem to make sense, Paul. What are you saying? One, at one moment you're saying they can teach. At another moment you're saying they got to keep silent. Why? Two reasons. Watch this. Number one, Paul is dealing with a first century situation. There's a first century situation going on here. What do you mean? He says, ladies, you need to be silent in the church. And the reason why you need to be silent in the church, we find in the context of the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Remember the culture. When you walked outside the church at Corinth, there was the temple of uh, Aphrodite. Then there was the temple of Asclepius. And then there was the temple of Apollo. You had all these temples there in Corinth. Two of the temples were pretty much ran by women. Women ran the temple of Aphrodite. Remember, the temple of Aphrodite was the god of pleasure, of god of sexual pleasure. And in order to participate in the temple of Aphrodite, you had to have intimacy with one of the temple prostitutes. They ran the temple. In the temple of Apollo... They were exercising and doing exactly what was coming out of headquarters. So what do you mean? What I mean is just north of Corinth was Delphi. In Delphi was the headquarters. It was the big temple for Apollo. Within that temple was a lady. She was a prophetess. Her name was the Oracle. They called her the Oracle of Delphi. The Oracle of Delphi would foam at the mouth, roll around on the floor, speak gibberish. She'd speak a language only she could understand. And that was influencing worship in that arena, in that area. It was attractive. People liked it. They they would go and they would watch it like they would watch a show. And they were absolutely astonished by this and wanted to participate in this. So the women began to do the same thing. When you'd go to the temple of Apollo, they would be doing the same thing. That was bleeding into the church. The culture was changing the church instead of the church changing the culture. And what Paul is saying is, yes, you have freedom in Christ. Yes, you have liberty in Christ. No, there's no Greek and there's no, uh, there's no Jew. Yes, there's no f- male, no female. When it comes to the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ, we have liberty. But remember what Paul said. He's already said it in the letter. When he was talking about the freedom that we have in Christ, he said, remember, if that freedom that you have in Christ hinders the gospel, then don't participate in that freedom this was hindering the gospel and it was such a sexual uh, uh, intense culture you had prostitutes walking the streets you had women dressed dressed that was dressed scantily in the temple of Apollo rolling around on the floor it was a sexually heightened culture and what Paul was doing is he's protecting the women He's protecting the families. He says, you've got to not participate in this. And the best way to not participate at this moment in time is to keep your mouth shut. Be quiet in the church. Because when you stand up and you start talking, the men that are looking at you are are looking at you through eyes of sexuality. Now listen to me very carefully. The culture will influence you if you let it. And we are living in that same culture today. You say, we don't have the temple of Apollo out there. No, we got the temple of HBO. So we don't have the temple of Aphrodite. No, but we've got the temple of Cinemax. And there are temples all over the place that we can get involved in. And those temples require our worship. And we are such in a sexual revolutionized world in nature and culture today. That it doesn't take much to set this world on fire morally or culturally. You think about what has happened just over the past few weeks in the arena of abortion. Thank God for the state of Georgia. Thank God for the state of Alabama. Thank God that somebody has finally taken a stand on when life begins. Remember also that Paul said here in this passage, or in in chapter 7, in verse 2. In chapter 7, in verse 2, Paul's talking about marriages, and he says, To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Why did Paul say that? He said it because everywhere there looked, immodesty was everywhere. 
And he said, it doesn't need to be this way in the church. And until the culture changes, it's best if the ladies keep silent. Be quiet in church. Don't stand up and question the preacher. Don't stand up and call attention to yourself. I just got, this is amazing. I got a phone call from a pastor friend last week. He called me up and he said, I uh, got something I need you to run by you. I need some help with. I said, what's going on? Said, I got this lady that's coming to church Wednesday night Bible study. Says, we don't broadcast it or anything. And, but uh, she comes in and says, while I'm preaching, she stands up and interrupts me. Says she listens to that old guy on the, uh, I can't even think of his name. You know the guy's name, David? I can't think of his name. I call him Rubber Fingers. I call him Preacher Rubber Fingers because when you watch him, he does his fingers like this right here. He'll answer questions. Got a little eagle sitting on the desk. He's dead now, but I'm telling you, you listen to that guy, he'll lead you astray. He said, what do I do? I said, you, you better, you, she's got to keep signing. You, you've got to get her out of there. She is causing confusion in the church. This was the first century situation here in Corinth. When a woman would stand inside the church, these new believers that had come out of the temple of Apollo, they had come out of the temple of Aphrodite, they came into the church, and they would, a woman would stand up, and they would think in their mind, I, I wonder, is she a prostitute here? Because she's very attractive. I would love to sleep with her. Paul says in chapter 7, he says, y'all can't do this. Let each husband have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. So Paul is saying because of the current cultural situations, women participating uh, in the church, they're causing confusion. And that's got to stop. So he says, let your women keep silent in the churches. Now, let me give you the second reason because that's the next, set, the next part. The second reason is the first century curse. Excuse me, the first curse situation. The first curse situation. So what are you talking about? Notice what the text says. For it's not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Now, why did he say that? What Paul is doing is he's taking that law and he's translating it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. See, not only, not only is this verse culture, cultural, it's also from creation. So, so what do you mean? Let, let's, let's go over there. I, I think it's worthy. We looked at it on Mother's Day, but I think it's worthy of looking at again. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. In verse number 15 and 16 is the text that we need to look at here. The Bible says, and I'll put enmity, I'll, put a, I'll make a war between the woman and between the, thy seed and her seed. Uh, there's going to be a war between the devil and the child of Eve. We know that to be the Messiah, the Son of God. It shall bruise thy head. There'll be a little, there'll be a little bruise there, and thou shalt bruise his heel. But he's going to be crushed. There'll be a crushing that takes place. Uh, there in the text. Verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Well, I, online there's been some babies been born. and uh, They show a picture of the mama who just had the baby, got the baby in her arms. Man, she's spent. I mean, she looks like, I mean, she's absolutely ran a marathon. I mean, just rough. Like there's been a tremendous amount of sorrow in getting that child into the world. If you have children, I mean, ladies, you all know what I'm talking about right there. And then notice this next part, because a lot of times we miss this conjunction. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, that word desire there means to lead him spiritually. You want to lead your family. You want to lead them spiritually. But he needs to be the spiritual leader. He needs to be the one to bring that spiritual leadership. He is not referring, watch, listen to me very carefully. He's not using that word rule like we think of it today, like a king sitting with a scepter and handing out edicts. Go make me a sandwich. Go vacuum the bedroom. That's not what he's saying, okay? 
He's saying that the husband needs to be the head of the family and lead the family spiritually. He says you're one, you're, you're one together. And this oneness, though, listen to me very carefully, anything with two heads is a monster. Anything with one head is dead. Right? Excuse me. Anything with no head is dead. Anything with two heads is a monster. Get it right, preacher. I know, I'm trying. Paul reiterates this truth in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, when Paul says in verse number 35 of the text which we're looking at, let them ask their husbands at home. He's referring to a first century practice that took place in the church at Corinth. And that practice was simply this. When the preacher would preach, after the preacher would preach, they would be question and answer. Remember, the Bible, once again, is not completed. And so when a revelation came to the pastor and they spoke that revelation out of the truth of, of God's Word, there was a question. And that question that came, it came from men and women. And because of the cultural situation there, the women would stand up and ask the question. And the, the men would not be looking at the question. They'd be looking at the questioner. And it wasn't a good look. And so he says, in relationship to this, they need to ask their husbands at home because in the state that we're in right now, it's a shame. And they're exercising a spiritual authority that God didn't give them. So let them ask their husbands at home and let him lead. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That's hard to swallow. But the bottom line is simply this. It's the Word of God. It's what the Bible says. And in regards to it being the Word of God, in regards to it being what the, what the Bible says, it really is a challenge to you and I in two areas. Somebody said, well, how can you apply this to us today? I'll tell you how you can apply it. Number one, we should not let the current culture influence the church. You look around our culture today, man, we're living in an extremely hedonistic culture. Thank God for the South. Thank God for Georgia. Thank God for Alabama as well as other states that have spoken very loudly that we believe in Judeo-Christian principles. Thank God that somebody's fine. And that's how you do it. You Listen, you, you preach the Word of God, and it changes the lives of those around us. We fall in line with what the Word of God says, and somebody stands up for the truth. Uh, let me say this. I don't think we need to be influenced by the cultural feminism that's out there today. Now, I know if y'all want to write me an email, write it. It's pastorshane.nbc at gmail.com. I'd love to entertain your questions about this. I'm not saying that we don't need feminism. I say we need biblical feminism. So, we, Pastor, you don't understand the, the wage gap between men and women. That might very well be a problem. But I'm telling you, we don't need women acting like men, and we don't need men acting like women. There are gender roles, and Paul's already dealt with this. He dealt with gender roles, uh, if you would, over in chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. He says, man, listen, a child needs a mama, a child needs a daddy, daddy needs to be daddy, and mama needs to be mama. And if the daddy plays the piano, praise God, it doesn't mean he's gay. We should not let this current culture influence the church, number two. We should practice biblical marriage principles. The Gospel Coalition did a survey and a study, and this is what they concluded. They, just, they studied uh, Christian families and Christian homes, and they just simply said this. The marriages that stay together are marriages that practice biblical principles. I mean, that's what they said. They practice biblical principles. And so Paul simply says, stop condoning the culture, church. Stop it. And then the third thing, I'm out of time already, but let me give you this real quick, and you'll get an encouragement out of this. The third thing he says is stop contradicting the commandments. Stop contradicting the commandments. Verse 36 through 40. Paul closes this section of teaching by calling the church's attention to the commandments of the Lord that came through Paul. In verse number 36, look at what the Bible says. He says, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you? He, you see what he's saying there? Paul's saying, look, I brought the gospel to you. This church exists because as a missionary, I came and shared this truth with you. And you think you're the only church on the planet and you can do whatever you want to. And I'm rebuking you in Jesus' name. No, what I'm telling you is 
all the churches operate under the same principle as being the bride of Christ. The pastor is the lead, and the pastor preaches the word of God at this particular moment in time in the first century by way of revelation, and the church moves forward in unity and in, in edification. He mentioned this several times. 1 Corinthians 14, he dealt with it. 1 Corinthians 11, he dealt with it. He's reiterating it one more time and just simply saying, look, the word of God came to you, and the gospel's got to come out of you. Verse 37, look at what he says there. He says, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Verse 37 just simply says, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet, if anybody thinks that he's spiritual, if anybody's proclaiming the truth, then he will clearly understand when the truth is being presented because it will not be contrary to God. It'll be in order. It'll be established. He says, let him recognize that the things which you see are the Lord's commands. I am speaking to you, he says, from the Lord. And, and then he goes on to say in verse number 38, look at what he says there. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. He just simply says, if any man doesn't recognize this truth, that is, he's ignorant, then he's not to be recognized. He's to be put out. No, you're, you're done. You cannot stand up and say that in church. I've had people tell me, even here, even here, you know, a phone call, they'll say, Preacher, I'm gonna come up there. I'm gonna come, I'm coming up there. I'm gonna come up there and I'm gonna say my piece. I'm gonna say what I need to say. I say, No, you're not. You're not coming up here. Bless God, I'm the under shepherd here, not you. I will have the final word. Why? Because I'll have to stand before God and give an account as to the way I led you. They, they were they were that individual was a French person. They came about once every six months. They're not with us anymore verse 38 says but if anyone has not recognized this he's not recognized and then watch this verse 39 through 40 here's the end of it he sums it all up he says here's what I want to leave you with concerning spiritual gifts truth number one preach the truth look at what he says there in the text don't miss it he says in the text wherefore brethren covet prophecy covet prophecy. Let's stop right there and deal with it. That word covet there means to desire. Desire what? Prophecy. What is that? All through the Bible, all through the, the letter, Paul has said that this gift of prophecy is not the most important, but it, the most important gift is love. But through love comes prophecy. And prophecy is the edification of the believers. He says telling the truth, preaching the truth. Desire to preach the truth. And then look what he says. Number two. Proclaim it in every language. Proclaim it in every language. Look at what the Bible says. He says, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Tongues means languages. He says, don't hold back. Let every language hear the truth. Every language hears the truth. And then the last one, promote, promote order. Verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Decently means properly, just like I've told you, Paul says. I've given you an order, a proper order. He says, now exercise that. Do it. It's a guideline for their conduct. He says, this is what I want you to do. And then Paul is going to switch gears in verse 15. Look at what he says in verse 1, and I close. Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand. The reason why, he says, you're hearing what I'm saying today is because I kept the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel. So Paul has just corrected from in chapter 12 all the way to chapter 14. He's corrected their spiritual giftedness. He says, love is the most important gift that you have. Exercise that. He says, but don't forbid the other gifts. No one gift is greater than the other. Everybody has gifts. Everybody ought to use their gift. Love's the most important. When you come together as a congregation, as a church, prophecy ought to be the dominant gift. If you have a multicultural church where you've got many different languages, there ought to be... Uh, some interpreters, and you preach the gospel. But the most important thing is preaching the gospel. Hey.
Remember what the gospel is. Paul's about to deal with it in chapter number 15. He says it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We just saw a beautiful picture of the gospel. When that sweet little girl, Skylar, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That didn't wash her sins away, but what it did, it identified her as being a born-again child of God. Just like this wedding ring identifies me as being married. Baptism identifies you as being a child of God. And so Paul just simply says this, the most important thing is the gospel. So I end this morning with the most important thing. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Think about it just a moment. If I died today, would I go to heaven? I got a phone call yesterday. I, several months ago, I was asked to do a funeral of a lady who's got brain cancer. She knows she's dying I got a call yesterday saying that could be any day where she pass, when she passes away. She is prepared to die. She knows that when she dies, she's going to heaven. So what a foolish statement. How could anybody know that? It's not foolish. It's biblical. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This dear sweet woman knows that she has eternal life because she's believed on the name of the Son of God. That name is Jesus. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only one that can save your soul. Jesus is the only one that died, was buried, and rose again so that you could have eternal life. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. So, dear friend, listen. Maybe you've tried to get to heaven by joining a church. Maybe you've tried to get to heaven by being dunked in water. Maybe you've tried to get to heaven by participating in sacraments. Maybe you've tried to get to heaven by participating in a class through confirmation. You can't get to heaven those ways. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as the gospel's been presented, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, if you'd like to receive him as your Savior and have the knowledge that the Scripture talks about in regard to the gospel, then, dear friend, I want to ask you today, stop delaying, stop putting it off. Right now, receive Jesus as Savior. Say, preacher, I'm not quite sure I know how to do that. Well, the Bible tells us how. The Scripture tells us uh, over in the book of Romans it says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So, dear friend, if you want to be saved today, I'm going to ask you, from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Father, thank you for saving me. I will live for you. In Jesus' name.